0: You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast, a podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story, offering insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma, stories that offer entertaining escape as well as insightful inspiration for the journey. In this final three-part set of episodes, we are taking a deep dive into my own End Times series, taking a peek behind the theological curtain, if you will. Not to worry, this is not heavy theology, but a glimpse into one author's perspective on the End Times. Stay tuned. Hey, Religious Fiction readers, this is episode 20 of the Religion and Fiction podcast. Really appreciate you taking a listen, and I got to say, I'm feeling super refreshed and eager to get back to action because I just returned from a family spring break trip to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For anybody from that part of the world, you got great living, great food, and great weather. The last two episodes have been sort of pre-recorded material that I took from some videos that I created for my End Times Chronicles Kickstarter story project that ends tomorrow. If you want to get in on the fun, go to ntimesworld.com. There you will get all the information as well as the rewards you can back to get an epic apocalyptic sci-fi saga just in time for summer reading. Now, as I've been sharing the last couple of weeks, this is a modern take on the events of the Book of Revelation that sort of compete with a well-known End Times series called Left Behind. And when I say compete, I mean offers an alternative perspective on those events of the apocalypse. Because where the Left Behind series envisions... Christians being secretly snatched away in what is termed the rapture before the great tribulation events unfold, my series instead envisions the church enduring those chaotic events through those several years where God's judgment is poured out upon earth. The last two episodes of this podcast gave you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into where I got the story idea for this series that I started working on almost five years ago now, as well as some of the major aspects to that storyline, primarily the time travel aspect where readers, along with my heroes— Travel back in time to retrieve the memory of the early church. And, of course, last week we dove into those stories of the heroes and some villains, giving you a perspective on the global church that is embroiled in the end times events on top of the resistance that I sort of leverage to talk about our own contemporary resistance of Regimes and narratives in all of their modern form nowadays. Well, I want to take a deeper dive into the sort of theological foundation that I have introduced elsewhere in previous podcasts and alluded to when I gave my own sort of overview of the Left Behind series— Now, don't worry, this is not a deep dive into the major theology of the series, but instead gives you a bit of the foundational interpretation that I brought into this story project. To not only give you an epic adventure through these apocalyptic events, but also an inspiring, insightful read into what it looks like to survive these last days as faithful followers of Christ— waiting for our victorious resurrection when Christ returns. All right, so here we go. The Theology of End Times Chronicles. As I've shared before, my current theological posture toward the book of Revelation is very different than the one I grew up with, which mirrored very closely the left behind series interpretation of the book of revelation and its events concerning the end times so specifically the great tribulation now the theological interpretive mode and method of that End time series is what's known as dispensationalism or a pre-tribulational, premillennial view of the return of Christ. You can get more of that theological context in episode seventeen. But this episode is instead going to focus on what is known as post-tribulational, classical pre-millennial view of the end times. Now, I know that was sort of a word salad of heavy-hitting theological terms there, <laughs> but stay with me. We're not going to go crazy, but I think you'll find it insightful to not only understanding that crazy last book of the New Testament for yourself— but also seeing how my particular religious fiction series sits at the intersection of the sacred and story by taking very seriously a mode or method of interpreting the book of Revelation in a way that the church broadly has understood those events for the last two millennia. Now, one of the major voices that contributed to my own understanding, as well as that sort of theological foundation to my story, is a New Testament biblical scholar by the name of George Eldon Ladd and his brilliant commentary uh, on the Revelation of John, as it's titled. I'll put that information in the show notes, uh, but you can find a copy on Amazon and it's uh, A pretty old book published in 1972, but is also a pretty accessible book for those who aren't seminary trained like myself, who have dual graduate degrees in divinity and theology. Uh, So if you are interested in taking a deeper look at those events and the chapters of Revelation, I would pick that up uh, or (laughs) you can pick up my series, which gives a pretty good uh, explanation of the the broad overview and, and sort of the sweeping narrative of this very complicated book. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we come to this book, uh, that it is complicated. It's uh, using a particular genre known as apocalyptic literature, which makes sense because it is the apocalypse, <laughs> right? Uh, but This kind of literature uses some common tropes to unpack cataclysmic events that were common to that ancient era. So humility is definitely in order when we come to this final book of the New Testament. But I love the way Ladd unpacks it, and there is sort of this fourfold movement which— gives a great sort of structure to Revelation, and it's a structure that I have used in this series myself, End Times Chronicles, which uh, takes place in three parts, uh, apostasy rising, apocalypse rising, and the final one I just finished, Antichrist rising. These four parts that George Ladd uses to frame the book of Revelation— happen in this way. The first few chapters are the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and they are in many ways a an encouragement, an exhortation to these churches to stay the path, to keep their eyes fixed on Christ, to keep doing what they've been doing on the one hand, or to change drastically because they are in danger of biffing it in their spiritual journey and walk with Christ. Uh, There's these two sides of the coin in which you have faithful churches who need to have this encouragement and exhortation to stay the course and continue what they're doing in the face of overwhelming persecution as well as impending persecution by Empire Rome. Then you have, on the other hand, some churches that are really screwing it up and need to course correct in order to maintain faithfulness and find victory when Christ ultimately returns. And then there's kind of these middling churches that are either lukewarm or doing some things right but also doing some things wrong. And here is John writing these churches ...under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, to deliver these messages from Jesus Christ himself, these letters, to encourage them, again, to stay the course and to survive uh, both historical persecution that is happening in their day and age, but also in immediate impending persecution... Then there is this futurist perspective in which these churches sort of serve as models and exemplars for churches throughout the last 1900 years. So this is sort of the first movement of the book of Revelation and in many ways serves as a prologue to my apostasy rising in which the future church set in 2123 is experiencing sort of this cataclysmic implosion of the church of jesus christ in the future for a number of reasons because of pressures from the outside uh, the culture political pressures from the republic so republic which is sort of that one world governing body but there are also these internal pressures that are pressing in against the faithful, orthodox, vintage Christian faith. Now, the second sort of uh, movement of this book uh, comes in chapter 6, in which we find the seals. And we open this chapter where the Lamb, Jesus Christ, opens the first of seven seals. You've got seven seals— which bring about several sort of cataclysmic events uh, throughout the world. War, famine, pestilence, the martyrs who cry out for a vindication. Then the sun turns black and the moon turns blood red on the sixth seal. Uh, that leads then into the seventh seal, which opens and leads then into the third movement, uh, the trumpets. The trumpets mirror these seals because there are seven of them. And seven is this uh, sort of important number in the book representing completion. And we find the exact same number in the final movement, the seven bowls, which are the last several events leading up to that final return of Christ in which he comes to finally make things new, to fight the final fight as our great warrior and defeat the beasts, the first beast and the second beast and put them in the fiery lake of burning sulfur and lock Satan, the red dragon, away until the end of the millennial reign in which he will come back to make one more sort of show of things, a a grand, fruitless attempt at overthrowing King Jesus. And at that point, uh, we will have the final, ultimate reign of Christ on earth. Basic overview, okay? The letters, the seals on the scrolls, the trumpets, and then the bowls leading to a thousand-year reign— And then the ultimate last battle in which Christ, along with his people, will reign in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, one of the things to understand about how these movements unfold is when these movements will unfold. And, of course, as Jesus said, nobody knows the time uh, of his ultimate return even he says he doesn't it's the father who has the ultimate timetable and keeps the clock on these end times events and so we cannot know when it's going to happen and we shouldn't be too concerned about when it's going to happen i think that the church uh has been Looking for Jesus' second coming for all of its existence. It's part of what is happening in this book. It's uh, both a historical and a futurist understanding in which John is looking at both the current Roman occupation. And subjugation of the church and its persecution during the reign of Nero, leading up to several more imperial powers that really ratchet up the persecution of the church uh, that 's some of what 's going on here in in the book, and it 's meant to uh, foretell impending persecution and impending disastrous events while looking ultimately to the very end when these events lead to Christ's ultimate return. And I know for me growing up in my own church context, we were always looking for, you know, that antichrist who would signal the second coming of Christ, whether it was Hitler back in World War II or Saddam Hussein, you know, in the '90s, or now Vladimir Putin—maybe that's the uh, the the Antichrist because of the chaotic events swirling around us. And oh, Jesus is going to come very soon, which there is part of that even in the New Testament and Jesus's own encouragement to the disciples in Matthew chapter 24 to always be ready to watch, to anticipate his return, and to not be asleep at the wheel of your Christian walk. Absolutely, we should always be watching for his return, anticipating it. Uh, But the reason why I wanted to place my story 100 years out is this understanding and this idea that it may take that long for Christ to return. It might be another thousand years before he returns. But leading up to those ultimate events that begin to unfold, that foretell ultimately his second return, we've got what we have happening in the first three chapters with the letters to the churches, encouraging them to stay the course uh, both, under the weight of persecution and also the pressures against their faith to conform to culture, uh, to grow cold in their first love of Christ. Uh, But then you also have the seals, which are sort of the, as George Ladd explains in his brilliant commentary on John's revelation, he explains that these seals are... uh, not so much the uh, events that lead right up until his return, but instead the general sort of condition that we find ourselves in on the other side of both the Garden of Eden with the fall of mankind, but also on the other side of Christ's resurrection and ascension. Because uh, part of an understanding, uh, a A biblical theology of the end times, the last days, is a recognition that it's both already and not yet, that the kingdom of Christ has already launched in these last days on the other side of his resurrection and ascension, while also anticipating its ultimate arrival at the end of the age when he finally returns. And in between... Uh, the seals explain the chaos that we find around us economically, politically, uh, militarily, with wars and rumors of wars, uh, earthquakes and plagues, coronavirus <laughs> and famine and all of the general chaos that we find around us. Those are the seals. And so when you read chapter six, it's not a chronological, necessarily uh unveiling of uh, particular acts of judgment. Instead, it's this general chaos we find around us leading to the sixth seal signaling the coming of the day of the Lord, which actually launches the apocalypse or at least announces the end and signals the sort of coming of the day of the Lord, the ultimate day when Christ returns. So, again, the second movement, the seals, are the general judgment, sort of the ongoing uh, judgment of God throughout history, leading to the ultimate end. And that's where the second part of my End Times Chronicle series, Apocalypse Rising, begins. After the apostasy ravages the church, the apocalypse begins to destroy Solterra, the uh, sort of futuristic expression of earth with the unveiling or the unsealing of the seventh seal and the contents of the seventh seal are the trumpets and the trumpets actually begin to bring about the unfolding of what has been classically understood as the great tribulation. The great tribulation is this chaotic period in which God begins to really ratchet up his judgment with a very singular purpose. It's not uh, to punish sin entirely or necessarily. Instead, it is to call humanity to repentance one final time uh, before his ultimate unveiling, the bowls, begin to pour out and things become, in a word, super bad. So there is this uh, merciful component and purpose to the trumpets uh, rather than simply this judicial purpose in, in which God wants judgment. He really ultimately wants mercy to extend his mercy to anyone who desires to repent of their sinful rebellion against him and align themselves in full submission to his lordship in receiving his free gift of salvation. Now, it's at this point that my series, The End Times Chronicles, departs radically from the very popular blockbuster Left Behind series because it is at this point that the Great Tribulation begins to unfold. Those... Some would interpret uh, Revelation as an actual seven-year period or just a general period of God's unfolding judgment and the rise of the Antichrist and a ratcheting of persecution. It's here that Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins would say, according to their own theological sort of mode of interpretation, that the church will be secretly snatched before these events unfold. Because they would say and believe that, on the one hand, Christians cannot uh, endure or suffer the wrath of God or his unfolding judgment. They also point to Jesus' own words in the book of Matthew where he uh, ex- explains that two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Then there's some words in uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians in which uh, Paul says concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, and then it goes on. And so they point to a, a few instances in which sort of believers are taken or gathered My problem with this is that, one, this notion of a rapture is not explicitly taught anywhere in Scripture. And actually, you find in the book of Revelation a very important sort of interlude between the scrolls or the seals, rather, and the trumpets. John has a few of these interludes between these movements of his book. And in this particular one, chapter seven, you find the great multitude in white robes standing before uh, the throne of the lamb. These are the martyrs, the men and women who have been martyred for their explicit faith and allegiance in and to Jesus Christ. And, Uh, there's a point at which John is like, who are these people (laughs) in the white robes? He's caught up in this ecstatic vision and witnessing well into the future, this beautiful and amazing moment in heaven around the throne of Christ and the martyred men and women of the church are standing there. And he's like, who are these? And, uh, one of the elders responds, he says, these are they who have come out of, here it is, the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In my view, and George Ladd's, and frankly, the historical witness of the church in, it, in the way it's interpreted the book and this particular passage, these are those who have been martyred During these final apocalyptic events for their faith in Christ, those who kept their faith, who sustained their faith in the face of immense pressure to abandon Christ, to give up their faith in order to survive. One of the major themes of my own series is this idea of survival. Uh, Christians, the church surviving during these apocalyptic events. Both the actual unfolding of the apocalypse through the the dimming of the sun and the falling of stars and the unleashing of the demonic horde across Earth and, you know, the vegetation being burned up and rivers and uh, seas being turned into blood and all the other actual sort of the apocalyptic imagery that we find here with the trumpets and the bowls, uh, but also the, and how those are interpreted and how they will actually unfold. One of my goals with my series is to help Christians understand what it would take and what it will take to survive these events. And what should our posture be as Christians in the midst of these events you know how should we care for our neighbor our unbelieving neighbor during particularly the uh, the trumpets as they unfold because again there is a merciful purpose to them rather than simply a judicial or judgmental purpose the lord jesus christ wants the world to repent to turn to him to find forgiveness of their sins and salvation from eternal death. And so how should the church respond during this period of the apocalypse? Especially this period when the Antichrist rises. This brings me to my final part, but also a very significant portion of the book of Revelation and I chose to sort of commingle the final movement that we find uh the un- upturning of the bowls the seven bowls which are the contents of the seventh trumpet again with these trumpets the goal is repentance of the ungodly uh, but they don't they continue I- their idolatry their sinfulness, their wicked ways. And and so in, in Trumpets 5 and 6, there is this very vivid taste of God's ultimate judgment with this unleashing of a uh, demonic horde that ravages uh, the unbelieving, ungodly polis, uh, and then this plague of death that inflicts um, to actual death upon millions of uh, people across the earth. And this leads into this again as a foretaste of then the ultimate judgment of God when the bowls are overturned. And, and this uh, is sort of wrapped up at the end of chapter nine. Um, there is again this interlude in which two witnesses appear, and uh, sort of it's the last prophetic call to the world, to repent and believe and turn to Christ, to align with him uh, before he unfolds his ultimate judgment upon the world for those who have taken the seal of the beast, the mark of the beast. You've probably heard that term before, uh, the 666 number, which is this representation of... um, Oh, uh, both political and economic alignment with uh, one of the beasts, uh, uh, which is the Antichrist, one of, which makes up the sort of satanic trinity of the false prophet, then you have the Antichrist, and then the red dragon. And there is this contrast between those who are sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit and then those who are sealed in uh, Satan— by the Antichrist, by taking his mark upon himself. And when the bowls turn over in uh, chapter 15, they will be inflicted upon those who have taken the mark of the beast. For those who are actually sealed in Christ, magically, mystically, supernaturally, they will be exempt. And it's very clear in several of these uh, bowls as they overturn that these are the ones who are affected. So like for the first instance, the first bowl is poured out on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Uh, The same thing is farther down where you've got uh, a scorching sun affecting a very particular people who curse the name of God and refuse to repent and glorify him. And then farther down, actually at the sixth bowl, there is this encouragement to believers to uh, stay awake, remain clothed, and not go naked and be shamefully exposed, which is this very deliberate call on Christ to spiritual diligence to the end. uh, While one of these final bowls is overturning, again, an indication that believers, Christians— the faithful ones of Christ will be enduring the events of the apocalypse, the great tribulation. And part and parcel with this tribulation is the immense persecution and pressure politically, economically, to align with Satan and the Antichrist and give up their allegiance and faith in Christ. That really comes to a head in this third part that i just finished writing uh, called antichrist rising and as you can imagine uh, this is now the moment when the one beast in partnership with the uh, other beast the false prophet the dark prophet as i call him uh, the antichrist rises to the stage of solterra republic and he forces all of the polis to worship him, to align with him, and ultimately with Satan, and in order to survive. That is ultimately what it's about. It's about survival, both in a uh, political, civil sense, it's survival in an economic sense, it's survival in a spiritual sense, because you have to re- remember that, ultimately Revelation is a it's a conflict between you know the classic good and evil uh, in the very general fiction sort of sense right whether it's J.R.R. Tolkien's the uh, Lord of the Rings series or Harry Potter or anything by Stephen King there is this ultimate conflict between good and evil and it's played out on those pages and those stories well the same sort of conflict is on full display in the book of revelation but this isn't simply this vanilla conflict between good and evil instead it is a ultimate conflict between christ and antichrist and not just belief and doubt or religion and non-religion, no, there is no equivocation here because in the book, you're either aligned with Christ or you're aligned with the Antichrist. And this final part, which unfolds in four episodes, four complete books in this final part, the third part, uh, Antichrist Rising, makes that explicitly clear that you may find temporal survival by giving yourself over to the Antichrist, by becoming a branded one, taking his mark. But ultimately, your eternal life is secure by aligning with Christ, by becoming sealed in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, in confessing your sins, in repentance, and submitting to him as Lord, receiving his free gift of salvation, and the way that I went about exploring these end times events is not only trying to hew closely to the biblical text uh, with an honest, um, forthright, and yet humble interpretation uh, of the text; uh, those four movements using several different commentaries. Uh, and resources in my library, but especially George Ladd's brilliant commentary. Uh, not only did I seek to follow those events um, as they unfold closely, taking a more of a literal approach to what those trumpets and especially bowls might look like and how they might feel, uh, being in the midst of the chaos uh, as they unfold and how they affect the Christian characters as much as the non-Christian characters. Uh, But alongside this faithful retelling and incorporation of a uh, strong biblical theology and interpretation of John the Seer's vision of the end times, I chose to incorporate the wisdom and the exhortation and encouragement ...of the historic church by retrieving literally the memory of the earliest believers who were living during very similar events that would have felt like the end of the world as they knew it. The early church uh, under the imperial persecuting weight of empire Rome during the third and fourth centuries in particular... Uh, And that's where the idea of time travel and this becoming a very sci-fi series in that sense, not only uh, the apocalyptic angle is set in a futuristic world 100 years down the road, uh, but then traveling back in time to interact with those earliest fathers of the faith and literally witnessing the martyrs and in one very important uh, episode enduring for themselves actual martyrdom or close enough to it all in order to retrieve that memory for the future church but also the present 21st century church Uh, my personal project as a minister of the gospel and as a writer and author has been making the vintage christian faith relevant in as many ways possible that is really how i got into writing fiction trying to create fun entertaining thrilling stories that offer a dose of insight and inspiration for the journey with this uh, sort of memory retrieval effort. Uh, If you've read my Order of Thaddeus series, that's a big part of the gang, Sepio, is uh, retrieving memory markers, whether it's the Holy Shroud or the Ark of the Covenant or the mythical Holy Grail or the Garden of Eden. And I continue all of that retrieval effort in this series by, well, reviving the Order for all of you sepio fans and bringing out that more muscular kinetic arm of the church uh, to combine that with this end times resistance to not only protect the faithful but to protect the faith and the end times is going to require both both protecting the faith and protecting the faithful Because unlike some of the the more popular blockbuster fictional series that have sought to sit at the intersection of the sacred and apocalyptic story, (laughs) my series uh, takes a very different yet historical approach to the end times events of John the Seer's revelation by actually putting you, the reader, in the middle of those events, enduring the ravaging and implosion of the church through a rising apostasy, uh, the destruction and the chaos of a rising apocalypse, as well as the final ultimate clash between good and evil with a rising antichrist that will demand ultimate allegiance in order to survive, whether you're a Christian or not. My ultimate hope and prayer for this series is to give people, yes, an entertaining and thrilling adventure through these Events as I imagine them to be, as I've studied and poured over John the Seer's revelation. But I also hope that it becomes this inspiring, insightful adventure that will encourage believers to hold on to their faith in the middle of a rising. Pressure to conform to regimes and narratives in all their forms that are completely contrary and, frankly, opposed to the good news of Jesus Christ, as well as encouraging, perhaps, nonbelievers who have found themselves into the story to ultimately give their life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and, as I say, the patron of (laughs) patrons— Jesus Christ, who came to live the life that none of us could and die the death that all of us should have died in order to pay our price in our place, paving the way for our forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal, everlasting life with God on the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus Christ returns to make all things new by putting this broken, busted world back together again. I hope you enjoy the adventure. I hope it encourages your walk with Christ and provokes your journey with him, perhaps even for the very first time in your life. I want to close this podcast by reading some of the final words of the book of Revelation, some very encouraging words for the end times. It's Jesus Christ who says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And then at the very end, this is what he says. John the Seer He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Religion and Fiction podcast, exploring some of my own behind-the-scenes insights into the apocalyptic end-time story I wrote to help Christians resist the narrative of regimes competing with the gospel in all its forms. Get details at endtimesworld.com to join Alexander Zarouk and the Resistance in their adventure through the end times. Thanks for listening. Happy reading.